And the rest of you sound really good too. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Mark. Let's turn to Mark chapter 9. Continue our journey through this gospel. Mark chapter 9, we'll begin reading at verse 1. Mark 9 verse 1. He said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there shall be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death, till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And after six days Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John, and leadeth them up into a high mountain, apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. There appeared unto them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. There was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And suddenly when they had looked round about, they saw no man any more, save Jesus, only with themselves. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen, till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. May God add a special blessing to the reading of His Word, and let us just pause for prayer prior to our study today. Father God, we, it is with great anticipation that we're here to hear from You. Thank You, Father, for the Word, the Word of God that we can look to with a great deal of confidence, knowing it is a source, the source of truth. Father, I pray for each one that has come out today that You know their needs better than they do. And Father, may You meet them. May you give them exactly what is needed for them to grow and become more like Jesus Christ every passing moment. These moments here, Father, we would ask that the Holy Spirit would exclusively be our teacher, that we would be open to receive words of life, words of truth, as we see our Savior today once again in all of his glory. Thank you for what you'll accomplish. We rest in you, leaning on the word as we look for guidance, direction from you. Through the Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. If I was to ask you, what's the greatest miracle that was produced while Jesus walked the earth, aside from the ending miracle that's really the reason we're here today, that is the resurrection. If Jesus Christ had not risen from the dead, I can tell you for sure, I've said it many times, I would not be here now. Because if Jesus can't conquer death, he's not good enough. And that's why you're here, because you can't handle it yourself either. If you're here and don't know that, good for you. Jesus is the only one that has ever conquered death. Empty grave. There's a lot of them that claim they were really something, claim to be the Messiah, and the ground, the grave still holds them. But if I was to ask, what is the greatest miracle that was ever performed prior to and aside from the resurrection? The feeding of 5,000 is pretty incredible, isn't it? That was 5,000 men, so it was probably about 25,000 people. And he literally was just, saying, just breaking bread, breaking those little fish, and they kept coming, the disciples, and they kept passing it out, and they were divided into 50s, and, and, and everybody got fed. That was amazing, wasn't it? It was truly amazing, and it made an impact because then the people wanted to follow Jesus because he was the traveling restaurant. He had everything they needed to be, have their hunger sustained. That was impressive, wasn't it? Or how about that, uh, that the demoniac that was at uh, the Gadarenes? Uh, it was spoken of, even the lead spokesman of that demon said, we were a legion. And the number of demons within that man that was purged by Jesus Christ, which exhibited his power, was totally amazing. And 2,000 pigs went to their death off a cliff into the sea. That's amazing. We could go on. We've actually spent quite a bit of time in discovering Jesus' power over wind and sea and waves and you name it. Watched him walk on water. That was the one actually that the disciples finally got it. In Mark, as we've watched, the crescendo, or if you will, the climax of the book of Mark really comes to the point where he says, who do you say, or who do people say that I am? And they gave a list. It could have been of Elijah, John the Baptist coming from the dead. On and on it went. And then he said, he really crux, which is for us today too. Who do you say that I am? 
And Peter, being the spokesman, he, he's kind of the guy, right? And he says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Bingo. Got it. That's, that's like the middle point. That's the peak, if you will, of this book. Everything from here now flows. It flowed up to it. Now we're going to flow away from it. That's the context of which we come to the story not the story, the facts that we find ourselves have read, read today in Mark chapter 9. The corollary passage you'll find in Mark chapter 17, you might jot that down. There's a, there's a few added benefits to each one, either that in, in Matthew chapter 17 or Luke chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 is what we read today. Um, now, how many of you would have said, and by the way, you said, well, Larry, you didn't answer the question that you asked. Well, I was waiting for you to answer. You know, I'm not sure that this these verses that are before us that we just read are not the most powerful miracle aside from Jesus Christ's resurrection. Now, it was only viewed by three disciples. There were other people there, shall we say, quotes. But to think of who they really saw, everything that they knew about Jesus Christ, listen carefully, the, how they came to the, re, the realization that Jesus Christ was, in fact, the Christos, the anointed one, the Messiah, the son of the living God, was what they saw him do. They watched him do miracles. They watched him walk on the water. They watched him calm the seas. They watched him feed thousands of people. But it was what he did. He didn't look different. Today, he looks different. <laughs> they see him literally for who he really is. Nothing changed on the inside. But it was like the Son of God was unveiled of the majesty, the glory that he really all envelops. And they saw that. That must have been amazing. Sometimes we take the transfiguration uh, or the, the transformation, uh, either word will work, and it's like this isolated event. And how does that fit? Right? Would you guys say that's fair? I mean, just all of a sudden, six days later, and they go up to the mountain to pray, and he is transfigured before them. Could we get more than that? <laughs> and just a few words, and it's like, I, that's it? I mean, this is something that really happened that's crazy big. But the context of it is even more important. Let's go back and let's review a little bit, uh, which we're doing, but let's go back into chapter 8 of Mark. And after that, Peter had gotten the right answer, thou art the Christ, and then in verse 31, I want to come. This is a really key verse. And he began. I have that marked in my Bible because this is, this is that transition from him going out and proclaiming the message to the people. And all of those people followed him by throngs and droves. And then we had the Bread of Life seminar. Remember that? It's like they disappeared. Boom. They just wanted physical bread. They did not want spiritual bread. That's a lot of what goes on even today in our world, correct? We want the bennies, but we don't really want to get engaged in what really the problem is. If you think about all that the disciples, even at this point, the first coming to them was, there was no comings. There was like the coming, and they expected the kingdom to just take, be taken over. Jesus Christ rules and reigns, the millennial kingdom's here, and we win forevermore. Hallelujah, praise God. <laughs> By the way, we're nodding too. We're ready for that too, aren't we? His second coming the rapture, all of those things that really culminate in the ending events of this world that are depicted, and it will happen. It will happen. There's no question about that. There's a lot of things you hear in the news today probably won't happen. Probably isn't even true. Probably so far from the truth that we can't even imagine it. This is truth. God is, Jesus Christ is coming back. What the disciples couldn't get, let's read this verse now again. He begins to teach. He's taking these moments, these, this next, the last phase of the journey of him going through this earth, He's spending it with his disciples. He's wanting to get them tuned into the plan. They know the person now of Jesus, but they missed the plan. Verse 31, chapter 8. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders, of the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying open. It was very clear. There was no, there was no innuendos. There was no lack of clarity. It was right out in the open. And that just, what in the world? And, of course, Peter, being the spokesman that he was, we talked about it several weeks ago, he rebuked Jesus. <laughs> That's amazing. He rebuked Jesus, the Messiah, the one he just called the Christos. And he said, this can't be. This should never happen. And then Jesus said those famous words, get thee behind me, Satan. 
Uh, and just previous to that, if you go to Matthew, the account we talked about a bit last week, is he went from the rock to the stumbling block. How could you fall so far so fast? Well, that's what sets this whole thing up. And then we talked about last week the sense, what does it take to follow Jesus? What does it take to follow Jesus? Remember those three points? Deny self. Take up your cross and follow me. Seems real basic, real simple. It's amazing, though, how we still try to keep self in the throne room with a little bit of Jesus. We don't want to kick self out altogether. And yet the Bible's clear we need to crucify self, right? Jesus does that work. It's his strength, it's his power. But that's essentially the message that Jesus says, you want to follow me? That's the deal. And then he starts off with what we read today after six days. Well, he said something before that, which I, I'm going to go back to that now. Let's go back to uh, chapter 9 of Mark. Verse 1, verily or truly I say unto you, and he's talking to the disciples, that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Wow. I bet they were excited, weren't they? It's going to happen. It's going to be in our lifetime. Now, again, they don't really have the plan. The plan is what? Jesus will be crucified. He hasn't even mentioned that word yet. In fact, if you go to the book of Luke in chapter 9, the other passage that, Pat, that Pat takes this account into consideration, you'll find that that's the first time you see the word crucifixion, to cross, which to them, and we talked about it last, I think it was last week, week before maybe, uh, gals often wear a cross on a necklace. And for us, it's very liberating, isn't it? To know that our Savior, Jesus Christ, died on that cross for my sin and because of that sacrifice, literally, we can have a relationship with God forever and ever. But when the disciples heard the word cross, different deal. 30,000 Jews were crucified in the time frame of which Jesus Christ walked this earth. 30,000 Jews were crucified. Whoa. So when you say the word cross, it's not an endearing term. Did you go down to the jewelry shop and pick up a, a, a cross necklace? That wouldn't, that wouldn't sing well. There wasn't a lot of those in the jewelry stores. There weren't a lot of those on display because it was literally a torturous form of murder. It meant something to them. It was outside of anything that would have been part of the Messiah and the kingdom. See, what, that was a dichotomy you couldn't possibly pick up. And it was like denial. It's like putting a wall. I don't want to hear any more of that. Have you guys ever done that? And you're like, no, you haven't. Of course you haven't. But Peter was good at it. He put this wall up and he said, I don't want to hear about it, Jesus. I don't want to hear about your suffering. There's only glory. There's only the stuff that kingdom is coming and we're going to win and we're going to be forever in the kingdom. And that's the message. And it's interesting, six days later, that's what just goes on to say, just six days later, something is going to see. They're going to see who Jesus is. So far, they've just seen what he's done. Now they're going to see him. Let's take, take it from there. So Mark chapter 9, six days later, Jesus taketh with him Peter, James, and John. That's kind of the inner circle. of Those three guys, you'll find them at the Garden of Gethsemane. Maybe he took them along to pray. This was his prayer warriors. I don't know how those three got picked. I don't know anything about it. James and John would have been brothers. And Peter, well, you know Peter. <laughs> and so on this occasion, it says they went up to a high mountain. Um, I forgot to tell Laramie, but we've been in Caesarea Philippi is kind of where the, the basis point where we, where we were. If you go north of that on that map, I don't know if Laramie can pull it up real quick, there's a mountain called Mount Hermon. And it's about 9,000 feet high, and it, it really over, it overpowers the area, if you will. It's very likely that's probably where this mountain is, that they would have went to the height, went to the, to the top of this mountain to pray. Okay. What happens next? Well, they're by themselves, and it just says, just so matter-of-factly, and he was transfigured before them. What does that mean? <laughs> How many of you have been transfigured? Not like this, have you? And yet, you know what? Just as this is, you will be someday. That new resurrection body that Jesus paid for. 
There's four times that this term is used. One of them is here in Mark. One of them is in Matthew chapter 17. The same event, the same sense of transformation. Metamorphosis is a word that we get from the Greek word used here. And there's two other portions in Scripture in the New Testament of which this word is used. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 2. And transform by the renewing of your minds. So literally, that change in you after Christ has entered, to, has entered you because you've accepted him by faith, literally your lives are changed from the inside out. What we're finding here is literally Jesus isn't changing on the inside. He's no less God than he was 10 minutes before or 10 minutes after. He's the same God, but his external appearance now is as bright and as white and as glowing and as... I don't have words for it. More than you can imagine. That word is used for transformation, transfigured before him. Before them, I'm sorry. That must have been something. Now, they being Jews would have known that uh, in the Old Testament, there was numerous places of where God visited. He inhabited, if you sense, or revealed himself as much as he could. If God showed all of his glory, we would be dead. Boom! You just can't handle it. Now, when we get to heaven, I am looking so forward, so forward to meeting my Savior. To seeing that Jesus, that for the joy endured the cross before him so that I could be relationally right with God. I can't wait for that moment. But if he revealed all this glory in this place, it would be too much. And it was. In the Old Testament, how did God appear? Let's look at a couple of examples of that because this isn't the first time that God's glory would have been shown up. Let's go to Exodus chapter 16. We'll look at just a few of them. Exodus chapter 16 and verses 7 through 10. Uh, there's a little bit of a hunger problem going on. They're uh, complaining about that and, and God is about to give them some manna. We'll start in verse 6, Exodus chapter 16, verse 6. Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel, And even then you shall know that the Lord hath brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, when, then you shall see the glory of the Lord, for that he heareth your murmurings against the Lord. And what are we that you murmur against us? Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to, to the full, for that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which you murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. Moses spake unto Aaron, saying unto the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he hath heard your murmurings. Verse 10. It came to pass, as Aaron spoke unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. He appeared, literally, in a cloud. Let's go to chapter 40, Exodus chapter 40. Exodus 40 and verses 34 and 35. The tabernacle was being filled now or indwelt by the Lord himself. We're just diving in here. Verse 34 and 35, Exodus chapter 40. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation, because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. One more. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 11. 1 Kings 8 and verse 11. There's the dedication of the temple. Solomon had completed it. And now in verse 11, just again diving in, we'll go to verse 10. It came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. Now those are just, those are some evidences of really how God appeared in a cloud, in light. He was in light. Oh, actually, let me get that. Let me see if I can find my deal. And I've got to look for a moment. There it is. At the very top of your, if you see that right there, Mount Hermon. See, the last time we found ourselves together in Caesarea Philippi, more than likely Mount Hermon would have been the place that they would have been gathered in that mountain. Have you ever seen God in a cloud? <laughs> Do you want to? <laughs> Someday you're going to see him better than that. 
You're going to see him face to face. Think of that. So far on sinful earth, now think of it again, before Adam and Eve sinned, you talk about a walk in the park on an afternoon stroll with God. That's what sin did. It separated. That's what sin does. It separates us. And to know that literally Adam and Eve were able to walk with God in the afternoon. Oh, my goodness. And then sin. Behind sin is what? Self. How do you follow Jesus? You deny self. You can't, you can't follow Jesus if self is in control. You can't do it. You'll never find Jesus until self is denied. Can't do it. Well, about what's going to happen now is we're going to have God appear. We're going to see Jesus as we've never seen him. And it changes these men forever. Let's go back to our text in Mark chapter 9. We had read verse 2, he was transfigured before them. And verse 3 it says, And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. Now, that's an interesting phrase, but uh, who or what is a fuller? It would be somebody that bleaches clothes. Excuse me? Laundry. Uh, a laundry, yeah. Someone in the laundry that would, could actually bleach clothing to a point of, I mean, spectacular white. And, and uh, the response of this gospel writer was, there isn't anybody could do it this bright. This is another level. There's no way that you could do it like this. This is something that was supernatural, outstanding, beyond belief. Then it gets even crazier. So, so far, who went up the mountain? Let's review. James. John and Peter and Jesus. So there's four, right? Four went up the mountain to do what? Pray. What a beautiful way to see God when you're praying. How, how often did Jesus pray? Oh, my goodness, it was a lot, wasn't it? When the things got more difficult, circumstances were more tenuous, guess what? Jesus was off praying by himself. Many times, often, just before a miracle happened, just before he reached out in compassion. Remember that. Don't, don't ever forget that about Jesus Christ. When somebody tells Jesus to show them power like the Sadducees and Pharisees did, they said, show us your power. Show us a miracle. Show us a sign so we believe you. Not one time will Jesus ever, ever adhere to that. But when he was touched with compassion by someone that was hurting, someone that was under the sin curse, that's when his power was shown to those around. Look at all of those that he healed, those people that needed to be fed. All of that comes from his compassion. And here we have up the mountain praying once again. And there's more people that show up at this event at the top of Mount. I, I, I don't know it's Mount Hermon. It makes sense, but at the top of this mountain. Now, who would you invite to this with Jesus, Peter, James, and John? Moses and Elijah. <laughs> How do you get those guys there? Because God's in charge. God's in charge. What do you know about Moses? Well, we read a couple of instances here in Exodus. Tell me about Moses. These, these are two that show up at this. We'll talk about them a little bit further and how this all comes together. Moses, what do you, tell me about Moses. What do you know about Moses? He was very meek. Yeah, we've spoken of the meekest man. He didn't start out that way. It's amazing how trials had to shape him. Uh, sometimes when we're a little crabby about trials, it's amazing how God uses trials to shape us, right? He's always working on that, always working. Moses was a little bit probably a spoiled brat. I'll be honest. He ra was raised in Pharaoh's kingdom. Uh, things were his way. Uh, how easy could it get if you're the son of Pharaoh? Uh, adopted, but nonetheless, you get the picture. He was probably uh, being, should we say, ramped up to be a Pharaoh someday. And yet, he made some choices. And he was a Hebrew. And he was going to stand his ground. It took him 40 years to learn that he wasn't in control. It took God 40 more years to train him to be able to lead for the last 40 years of his life. A bunch of misfits, right? <laughs> they were like sheep. And I, but you know what really makes it, it is really a wonder when you study Moses' life. On two different occasions, at least two different occasions, God said to Moses, you know what? I'm going to wipe these clowns out. That's not the word he used. I'm going to just get rid of these people. They're losers. And I'm going to make a nation out of you. And now most people say, you know, that after thinking about it, that's a great idea. I'm glad you thought of it, God. I'm right in there behind you. I want, let's go. Let's, not Moses. Oh, no, no, no. He said, no, may it never be, God, because you've made promises. There are things that are standing upon the very foundation of your, of your and God knew he would respond that way. That is amazing meekness. Meekness is power under control. 
If you have the right to, if you have the ability or the power to do something against someone, but it's not in their best interest when you choose not to do that, that's meekness. It's not studied at a very large degree. You can't find college courses on it. If there's books written about it, they're not read because it's not the way the world works. It's totally opposite, isn't it? But Moses was also the lawgiver, wasn't it? He met with God probably as close as any man ever did without being consumed. God showed him his backside, as it says in the scripture. And to think of how close this man was to God is pretty amazing. He gave the law. He was the administrator. He was almost the king without being named a king. He was their leader. In fact, they were lost when he disappeared. What would it have been like to be Joshua? Oh, right? And God appeared to him in Joshua chapter 1, and he says, be of strong courage. Be of, be of strong. Be strong. Be strong. Why? Because I'm going, to be just, I'm going to be with you just like I was with Moses. Moses was, he was a hero in the Israelites' minds. Well, there's another one showed up, and his name was Elijah. What do you know about Elijah? He never died. He never died. That's right. That's right. Now, of going back to Moses, he was actually, the Lord buried him, it says. And that's probably good because guess what would be happening? Everybody would be worshiping that shrine of where Moses was. And God would have known that. He would have become actually almost, if you will, kind of like the golden calf. You know, there's just something that they could point at, shoot at, and, and adore and devote themselves to. Uh, now, Elijah, on the other hand, was just taken off in a chariot into the sky. That's the way to go now. I'm telling you what. I'm ready for my chariot, right? What do you know about Elijah? He was, I would say, the king of prophets, wasn't he? He, was, he? he hung, and the other thing was, is even though there was places of where he fell in that deep depression, we, we've had several, numerous sermons on that, but the fact, of the, the fact of the matter is, this is one man that took on at least 900 prophets, false prophets. He was not afraid to get in the arena with God being on his side. He, he, he took on anybody, and you'll see miracles. The other thing I would say about those two men, Moses and Elijah, in the time frame in which they lived, their eras, there was probably more miracles in their two lifetimes than the rest of the Old Testament put together. They were miracle workers, and, the, and again, those ten plagues that happened in, in Egypt, yes, God did them, but Moses was right in the middle of that. Elijah, you want to read some really cool stuff. You watch, you know, to build an altar, and then for God to burn the rocks, that's on the same page. I have not seen rocks burned. But it burned it up. He ran, outran a chariot. It was amazing the things that, the, that he did. So you have two very, very prominent Israelites now accompanying this transfiguration. And it said they were conversing. What would they talk? What would Jesus? And the other thing that's really interesting to me is the fact that Peter knew their names. Now, how many pictures do you think that Peter saw of Elijah and of Moses? I'm going to go with none. <laughs> there would have been descriptions of who they were again by what they did, but to actually physically describe them to the point of, of seeing, boy, that looks a lot like Moses. But that's been a long, long, long time ago. They knew without a shadow of a doubt. He knew exactly who they were. That's exactly right. Somehow, it would be very well known. Now, it says they were discussing something. Have you ever thought about what would Jesus and Moses and Elijah be discussing? The law and the prophets. Probably. <laughs> Probably, yeah. And even more interesting, again, keep our contact. This is super important where we're going now today. See, most of the time, the transfiguration is just kind of take it out, put it on the table, pronounce it, describe it, and then put it back over there. That is not why it happened when it did. It happened exactly at this time in the disciples' lives for exactly this reason. Let's review. What is it that they couldn't understand? They now had the person. They knew who Jesus was. They <laughs> called him the Messiah. What didn't they have? The plan. Suffering was no part of the plan. Glory always comes because the Messiah is coming. There's, there's no problems coming, correct? So he's got to understand the plan. Jesus began to teach them back in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, that he was going to be killed. That's bad news. But then the end, which they didn't hear, he would rise again the third day. That's the part I would just, that's good. I like that a lot. Let's go to one of the other passages and find out. It tells us what they were talking about. 
I got to think about which one it is. So while you're just enjoying the day, I'm going to take a quick look and find if it's Matthew or Luke. Yeah, let's go to Luke. Luke chapter 9. We haven't read this anyway. Luke chapter 9. Let's start in verse 28 because we're going to talk about something that may bug you. Verse 28 of Luke chapter 9. Same passage in the sense of time and scenario and scene. Verse 28, chapter 9 of Luke. Are you all there? It came to pass about about and eight days. Wait a minute, Larry. I thought that was six days that Matthew and Mark talked about. Well, they did. They said after six days. In other words, if you think about it, the day in which Jesus would have proclaimed, some of you will not die until you see the glory and the coming kingdom. So that would have been after those six days, after six days, that would have happened on the day it happened. Okay? Now, Luke's perspective is he's including the day that he said it and the day of it happening, so about eight days. So it's not a big deal. You okay with that? Okay. Let's keep moving. Sure. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> All right. Let's go now to uh, about eight days after these things, he took Peter and James, John and James, went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. Behold, there talked with him. Oh, see that? They talked with them, two men, which were Moses and Elijah. Watch verse 31. This is a verse you may not have ever looked at or ever thought about. Watch. Who appeared in glory and spake of his decease or death, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Are you kidding me? You mean this is part of the plan. Moses and Elijah have come, literally, for a context to prove to the disciples these three. Oh, you know, that's another question. Let's stop. Just parenthesis. Why did he take just three disciples? <laughs> That's probably fair. That's probably a fair question. But why didn't he take just one so there was no bickering? You always take three. Thank you. Witnesses. Two or three witnesses. That's exactly right. In fact, this is going to even end. There's two sets of this. Let's look at that in the Bible, though, because it's very important that we understand that it needs to be two or three witnesses to confirm an account. Now, I have to see where I wrote that down, which I'm not sure. How about that? Um... Fantastic. Oh, there we go. Yeah, Matthew, let's go back to Matthew chapter 18, verse 16. This is a concept that God initiates and is fluid throughout all of the word. Matthew chapter 18, verse 16. We'll start in verse 15. It'll actually, this is talking about church discipline. And chapter 18, verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Start there. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. That, that's the best way to do it. Don't go ahead. Now, the, it seems like the natural way is to gossip, to tell, if someone's hurt you, go tell everybody else except that person. <laughs> wrong, wrong, wrong. Okay? So, this is good advice. Go to that person, try to straighten it out, and if it works out, fantastic. Another brother's been the same board. But, let's look at the next verse. Verse 16, but if he will not hear you, then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Let's look at one more. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. I hope I'm right. Seems like yeah, there it is. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. Uh, Paul is speaking of his, of his timetable, of what he's looking forward to. This is the third time, verse 1, chapter 13, 2 Corinthians, that I am coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. That's a really important concept. There's, I don't think there's any secret the fact that this meeting at the top of, I think, Mount Hermon, that we are seeing a transfiguration. There's not just one. In other words, if Peter just would have went... Sure, Peter. <laughs> or now we've got three. All of those words would have been confirmed in those three guys' eyes. That's pretty cool. Now it even gets better. <laughs> we've, got, we've got the visitors and we've got Moses. We've got Elijah. And someone else shows up too. God himself. And literally you have the three witnesses that are hearing 
and seeing the transfiguration, there are three, Moses, Elijah, and God himself, that are literally speaking about the plan. This is so robust in this timing of how it all sets together that it almost sends shivers up your spine to know what God is going to say now. But let's watch this verse. Let's read it one more time. I don't want you to miss it. Verse 31, Luke chapter 9. They appeared in glory and spoke of his decease or his death, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. <laughs> That's what these three guys are talking about right now? Yes, because it's the most important thing on the agenda coming up. This is the beginning of the disciples getting the plan, getting it understood, going to the cross, literally with Jesus, if you will, and ultimately all of those disciples, aside from Judas Iscariot, literally walked the walk of martyrdom. Even John, uh, John, who was here, let's look at a couple of things. No, I'm too early on that. We won't do it. Just hold that thought. But in case I forget, let's go. I, there's two passages of Scripture. Of, there's one in Peter, and there's one in John of two of these three witnesses and how they wrote words in the Gospels. And that, one was in Second Peter. I'll go there a little bit later, and it really shows how much of a difference this event was to them ultimately in their life. So they're talking about Jesus' death at Jerusalem. Now, where's Peter and all of these guys and all of this? Well, verse 32, I'm in Luke, so we'll read it here. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. Now, does that sound like deja vu all over again? Remember, it's in the future, but in Gethsemane, the night of Jesus' betrayal, who does he take with him to the, the Peter, James, and John, right? And what did they do? Two times, they fell asleep. Bummer, right? Now, you're, and, you're, and you're kind of thinking, sometimes um, when I'm praying or reading the Bible, there are times I fall asleep. I'll just be honest. I, I'm, not, I'm not one to make up, you know, oh, I was so incredibly tuned in. I'm so focused. And there are times it's like that. And there are other times like, oh, my goodness. Like, let's start all over. Let's read it again. And I do that. I, let's start over again. But what was it? Why were they sleeping? What, what was it? Now, there's a passage of Scripture we're going to go to in a moment. It isn't necessarily in this depiction, but it seems like there's a principle that's underlying that may very well be in tune with this because what are the disciples stubbing their toe on? What is really bothering them about all of this that Jesus is beginning to teach them? The cross and the suffering. They just cannot get their head wrapped around that. To them, that's very, I'm going to use the word, sorrowful. It really was. It really was. And for them to see the Messiah to be killed is craziness. But let's go to Luke chapter 22. You're already in Luke. Let's go to Luke chapter 22, verse 45. Luke 22 and verse 45. Now, this is the moment, this is the time. In fact, let's go to, uh, before you go there, let's just start in verse 39. This would be the visit to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is just before his betrayal and arrest. In verse 39, it says that he went out and uh, he came out and went, as it was, to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. When he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that you enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. There appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now watch verse 45. When he arose up from prayer... And was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping, watch it, for sorrow. They were so saddened, so sorrowful, that literally it caused them to go to sleep. That's like trying to push it out of your mind. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to talk about that anymore. If you've ever been in a situation where the despair and the agony and the depression is so deep, so in intense, you know what? You can literally just black it out. Now, am I going to say that's exactly what happened on the, on the Mount of uh, Mount Hermon or the, the Mount of Transfiguration? I can't be certain, but again, I can't imagine what it would be for a Jew clinging to all of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah coming and the kingdom coming. For this now, the Messiah who they've seen, who they know his person, and he is claiming that there will be suffering and death. I'm sure it's probably the same. But they arise from this sleep, if you will, from this kind of awakening. And then Peter, once again, not knowing what to say, says something he shouldn't probably say. There's, a, there's something for us there. When you don't know what to say, go ahead and don't say anything. That's good advice. 
That's good advice. But let's go back to Mark for a moment now. Mark chapter 9 once again. And let's see Peter in action. Peter in action. We've seen the transformation. We're going to, and we've seen the, the, uh, the Moses the lawgiver, Elijah the king of the prophets. We're going to take a look at Peter. Peter's suggestion. Oh, where are we at here? Uh, verse 5, just again showing verse 4, there appeared unto them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. We went to Luke to see what they were talking about. Then Peter answered, verse 5, and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. <laughs> oh, good. Profound there, Copernicus. Let's lay some more stuff out there. And then he goes on to say, Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, what in the world is he doing? What kind of a dream was he in partaking of? Well, a couple, a couple of things that we'd want to make note of. First of all, um, the fact that he makes them all in the even playing field is problematic. That's problematic. Moses and Elijah, great men, great followers of God, not on an equal with the Messiah, not on the equal with the Son of God. But what's this booth thing, this tabernacle? What is that about? That would be, uh, their, their intent was actually probably that. What do we know about uh, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths? Not very much, apparently. <laughs> this is okay. It was one of those feasts, literally, that would be depicting of God's uh, rescuing or deliverance. And when it was set up, it was the deliverance from Egypt. It's actually symbolic of them looking forward to being delivered through the second coming of Jesus Christ. And again, the Old Testament prophets and those, and even these disciples here, they didn't see a first and second coming. They just saw a coming of the Messiah. And that would be, that's the problem. They didn't see one and two. Even Daniel the prophet, it was hard for him to see. It was like those peaks of prophecy. They didn't see the valleys between the first and second coming. The, 60, the 70 weeks of Daniel. Between the weeks 69 and 70, if you study that literally, there's a huge gap of time. They didn't see that. But to the disciples, this is, in the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, would have been very depicting of Jesus coming, the Messiah coming. Because you would live in these tabernacles, these booths made out of, out of branches. It would be depicting of the fact that he has come to deliver us. It's again, they want to push out all of the suffering. They want to push out all of the things that was part of the plan. And in this case, they don't even know about crucifixion. They want to get on with the party. Let's let. Don't you think that'd be a great idea? Because, you know, you think about, what is going on here? That's what's going on. They are ready to get the kingdom underway. Just go ahead and deliver us right now. And look, Moses and Elijah are here. That was another question. We won't have time to deal with it today. But uh, after they're leaving this place, Peter asked, well, some of the scribes and the, the religious leaders say that Elijah has to show up. I'm trying to fit this together. And he's telling, basically telling, he's trying to fit this together. You're here. Where's Elijah? And now they've just seen him. So is this part of it? See, it, it's an amazing thing that's transpired. But here's the real meat now. Here's Peter making suggestions that are off the wall. But someone else comes. Someone else comes. The sovereign speaks. Back in Mark chapter 9. It says in verse 6, just in case we were wondering... He wist not what to say. He did not know what to say, for they were sore afraid. Have you ever said stuff when you're really afraid and you don't know why you said it? Meet Peter. It's exactly what he did. Verse 7, and there was a cloud. Remember the last time? What, remember we went to the Old Testament? We went to several passages. How did God appear in the Old Testament? In a cloud. There was a cloud, it says, verse 7, that overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, Listen to him. And it says, hear, hear him in the King James. Listen to him. If you're Peter, just in the last week, in the last week, things have went from you being the rock, a thing because you said, this is the Christ, the son of the living God, which again, that, found, that would be a foundation for the coming church. That saying, that rock saying, he's went from being the rock to Jesus saying, get you behind me, Satan. And now God the Father in a, in a cloud is saying, listen to Jesus. About what? About his death, crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. Because that's the plan. 
Is that not perfectly positioned, the transfiguration now? Literally, God is what Jesus says and what you need to listen to. Peter. <laughs> what part of this don't you understand? Yeah, what part of this don't you understand? Now, that must have been, in fact, again, I'm not sure which one. The three passages actually lead, lend to each other. Um, there was a cloud overshadow him saying, and suddenly when they looked around him. No, let's go back to Matthew for a moment because it knocked them flat. Literally, when this cloud, God the Father, overpowered them literally. Let's go to uh, verse 5, Matthew chapter 17. While he yet spake, Matthew 17, 5, while he yet spake, behold, who's he that's speaking? speaking? Peter. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear you him. When the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. Now, I can't imagine what that would be like, but all of a sudden, this is, this is crazy anyway, to see Jesus, their Messiah, the Christos, to be so bright, so amazingly glistening, it would be just, right? It would just blow your eyes out. And then there's Moses and there's Elijah. And they're talking with Jesus about his death in Jerusalem. And then here comes the cloud, overpowers you, and it says, listen to Jesus. <laughs> Has the transfigure made more sense to you today? Often, like I said, oftentimes it's just kind of like this little package. You just pull it out and you talk about it and that's really cool. And then you put it back there. No, no. This was perfectly placed for the disciples to get it. Now, Jesus says something at the end. We'll talk about that in just a second. Oh, I wanted to see the impact, right? Remember, you guys were going to remind me in case I forgot. Actually, I didn't forget. So let's go to two passages of scriptures that literally shows how much of an effect this event had on Peter and John. Let's go, first of all, to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 14. John 1, Gospel of John. We'll actually go to 1 John 2. There's a, his opening session in 1 John uh, actually lays hold on this as well. John chapter 1. In fact, in fact, what we should do is uh, let's just start in verse 1. This, this is really cool to see the incarnation of the Son of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shineth in darkness. The darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own. His own received him not, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which are born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. Now watch verse 14. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt or tabernacled among us, and we beheld his, this is in parentheses, and we, who's we? I'm going to go with Peter, James, and John. We beheld his glory. Now I lost my place. There we go. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, have you seen that parenthesis? Never be the same as you've just seen it now. That's what the transfiguration did to John. Let's go to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. Oh, while you're doing that, no, we'll look at it. Let's stay on John for a moment. Go to 1 John. If you find Peter, just keep cruising. 1 John chapter 1, and let's read the first few verses. This is the same that wrote the, the, the Gospel of John. John, who was there at that transfiguration. Verse 1, chapter 1 of 1 John. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. Now, literally, they've never seen Jesus like that moment. Which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it. And bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father was manifested. You see that's all in parenthesis? Does that mean something a little bit more now? That's John describing for that event that took place. Now over to 1 Peter, go back. 2 Peter, I'm sorry, just one book back. 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's read verses, I think it's 16 through 18. I think. Don't know, had it written down somewhere. Yeah, there it is. 16. First, 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. No problem believing that's exactly the moment in which Peter was responding to. You think it made a difference? You better believe it. You know what First Peter's about almost exclusively? Suffering. Get ready to suffer. Jesus Christ is the best example we have of suffering. Because suffering comes before glory. That was the part that Peter really had to struggle with. <laughs> he thought glory came first. Suffering was no part of it. That wasn't the plan. To think of how God, you, you talk about bringing some power people to a meeting. <laughs> he says, guys, let's go for a prayer meeting. Let's go to the top of, I think, Mount Hermon. Let's have a prayer fast. And then, as he's praying, they look. And this looks like God now. Not God because of what they've seen him do, feeding people, walking on water. This looks like God. And all of a sudden, there's Moses and Elijah. And they have this little convent talking about Jesus' ready death in Jerusalem. And then, out of nowhere, comes this cloud, which had been very depicting of what they would have read. They'd never, in, they'd never had it happen. But in the Old Testament, Exodus, we went through several of those, 2 Kings chapter 8, verse, verse 11. And literally, this cloud just encompasses them, and he says, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That might not have been exactly that way, but right? I wonder how many times God has to just pull us aside. Would you please listen? <laughs> For me, it's pretty regular, actually. Isn't it amazing? It's amazing. Yes, in fact, in fact, that's, I think this is really interesting. Now, I just thought of this as an aside. I don't have any more than this to say, but at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, literally, when John the Baptist would have baptized him, Right? Here comes this, you know, this dove. In fact, let's find the passage. I think we can find it in, uh, let's go for like Matthew. What do I do with my glasses? Let's go to like Matthew chapter 3 maybe. Let's go there for a moment. Um, yep, what I was looking for. Let me just, let me look at another. If we're, it says that, maybe it's in John or Luke. Sorry for the delay, but we will get there. Nope. Where God actually, remember that dove lands on him and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. There it is. Um, let's go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and we'll read verse 29, one of my favorite verses. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, are you there? John 1, 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming on to him, saying, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. What a pronouncement. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and abode upon him. And I knew him not, but that he sent me to baptize with water. The same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he, which baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I saw, bare record, and this is the Son of God. And no, that is not where I wanted to go. Okay. Um, it's actually Matthew, Oh, I'm in four. I mean, that's what, that's what there's, there's where I went wrong. You guys were right all along, but we looked at another passage. Thank you. Thank you for being patient with me. Okay, so let's go. Verse 16, Matthew chapter 3. I was in, I was in four. 316. Jesus, when he was baptized, that just the event we just talked about in John, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Okay? And it's like from that point on, his ministry was with whom? All of the multitudes, all of those people that were thronging to see him heal and to feed and to do all of these miraculous miracles, the demoniac, and casting all of these demons. And then... This change, this climax of which literally the disciples now are the focus of attention. This is where Jesus will spend the last months of his life is training them, exhorting them, bringing them on board with the plan. And guess what? 
God appears in a cloud and says, this is my beloved son, and whom I am well pleased, listen to him. Isn't that amazing? And then that angel, after the resurrection, greatest miracle ever known to anybody, anywhere of all time, forever and ever beyond belief, the angel rolls the rock away and says, by the way, he's not here, he's risen. And then the next, the next really big event was Pentecost, the beginning of the church. That was what happened there. The Holy Spirit came to earth to abide in each one that has placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Is this a big moment, the transfiguration? It's massive for the disciples to get the message right. It's crazy. Let's look at another passage for us. Let's go to Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, and we'll close here. Aren't you glad that God is not giving up? He's not finished. I look in the mirror and I say, you've got a lot of work left, lots of work left. Philippians chapter 3, one of the things is understanding where you're a citizen of. Philippians chapter 3, we'll start in verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven. That would mean our citizenship is in heaven. That's where you're a citizen of, heaven, once you've trusted Christ. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all the things unto himself. Just as Peter, James, and John saw Jesus in his glorified state, because of what he accomplished... You, one day, will have that perfect, resurrected body that's yours forever. It does not get old. It does not. <laughs> Whatever you want to say about it. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Amen, right? And you know why? All because of the fact. Let's go to Hebrews. I'm sorry, did, I, did I not tell you the truth? Hebrews is really cool, though. We'll finish here, though, in Hebrews. Let's go there. Chapter 1. Again, Hebrews... Chapter 1 really supports all that we've talked about today. Hebrews chapter 1, and we'll close then in chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, just starts out that way. God, who at sundry various times and in, very, in divers manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. By Elijah, for instance. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory, that sounds right, and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Whoa, those are powerful verses. But all of that happened because of Hebrews chapter 12. And take a look at verse 2. This, is, this verse here is so dynamic, so amazing. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. This is a verse to go home to. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Those things we read in Philippians are true because of that verse right there. To God be the glory. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity we've had to look to the Word of God. Thank you for the dynamic power that was and glory that was exhibited at just the right time for those three to bear witness of the message that Jesus was describing and, and playing out, the plan unfolding for them. But literally, it was upheld by three other witnesses, Moses, Elijah, and Father, yourself, who appeared in a cloud speaking very starkly and straightway, listen to Jesus. The impact that it had on those three disciples was truly amazing. They were told not to speak of it until after his rising again. That was a verse we failed to read, Father, but it was the next verse. And how important that was because short of Jesus Christ rising from the dead, the message was incomplete. After the resurrection, all of this started to fit together beautifully. As the Holy Spirit came to take place, the place of Jesus Christ, as was prophesied as well, the church began, the apostles were filled, people were saved, the church began. That's the plan. The plan continues today, Father, as we 
abiding on earth, those that have trusted Christ as Savior, are told to go out and preach the gospel. Preach the crucified, buried, and risen Lord. That's what changes lives. That's what changes destinies. We look forward to the day when your glory will be revealed ultimately through the entire earth. For the kingdom to come and never end, everlasting and everlasting. Father, that's the God we worship. That's the God we love. That's the one that has loved us before we loved you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage of scripture. It is so important, not only for those disciples, but for us today to know you are God. Thank you for what you'll do in our lives this week as we journey through step by step each of those that are here today, Father, and are hearing my voice, that literally you will strengthen them, you will empower them, you will give them everything they need to be more like Jesus Christ, our example for all things. Give us, Father, just what we need at just the right time in just the right amount. We thank you, Father, for what you'll accomplish in Christ's name. Amen.